as one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Into the republic for which it stands. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One nation under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. And you can see the two towers. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. Good Lord, there are no words. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU green to go, propellants pressurized. T minus 15, legal anatomy of current events. SC ready and green to go. T minus 14, FOS ready, green to go. T minus 12, S1C fuel tank pressurized. T minus 11, SC green to go. Legal anatomy of current events, green to go. T minus 10, internal power, green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9, 8, 7, we have ignition. Five, four, commit for launch, green. Three, two, one. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal anatomy of current events, all for you. Now, on the air, target locked. Good morning, America. Here we go. Gary Bell, Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado, and we're bringing you our podcast called Legal Anatomy of current events. We're glad to do it. We try to give you a legal analysis of the most current events in the country and give you a breakdown. We call it anatomizing your mind. We call it legal anatomy because we break it down into its anatomical components for you and try to explain it to you. And guess what? We try to give you the legal breakdown so that you can make up your own mind on all legal issues. I mean, we're going to cover controversial subjects we already have, and we're going to continue to do so. But we do it in a non-partisan format. We don't care what side you're on. We want to give you the legal breakdown and the legal analysis of the current events so that you can make up your own mind on whatever issue we're talking about. And we're glad to do it. And, and this week, we're talking about called 1983 actions. What does that mean? And a 1983 action is where an individual or family can sue the government for monetary damages. 1983 actions. Well, in the news, you hear about the beating that Tyree Nichols took in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, right, from the police officers. And so that is that is what a 1983 action is. But we're going to break it down, and I think you're going to learn some very fascinating, interesting facts today and law today, because not, uh, not all actions create a 1983 action. Not all actions by citizens or otherwise create a 1983 action. Only special circumstances create a 1983 action. So we're going to go through that today. That's in the news. Uh, and, and it applied to other cases as well. It applied to George, George Floyd up in Minnesota and, and that sort of thing. So uh, where do all these huge payouts come from? I mean, these are payouts in multi-millions of dollars, right? 
And we're also going to explain to you most states in the union have caps on their damages. Most states have caps. What are caps? Well, they, they're, they're upper limits that, uh, on the amount of money that you can recover in an action for a death case, for an injury case. So like in a motor vehicle accident, taking that as an example, certain states have caps. You can't go above the cap for like pain and suffering, non-economic damages, that sort of thing. So, but 1983 actions, you can get multi-million dollar settlements and multi-million dollar lawsuits from the same states that have caps on them. So Brad, let's talk about something to begin with. Uh, and let's explain it to everybody what a 1983 action is because I want to use the example to start off with, and I know we talked about it, but let's use the O.J. Simpson case as an example. So they, the parents of O.J. Simpson were limited in the amount of money they could recover, but there was no state action. For a 1983 action to apply, you have to operate under the color of law. So let's explain to everybody what that means. Well... Uh, 1983 actions were carved out in their own way to uh, prevent discrimination and intimidation of ex-slaves back uh, a long time ago by persons acting under state law. So you had a couple things you had to make sure you had happen. You had to have an unconstitutional act, and it had to be by someone acting under color of state law. Uh, When uh, the parents sued O.J. Simpson... Um, I'm not certain, but I can't figure out any way, shape, or form that any lawyer could ever say that O.J. Simpson was acting under color of state law. No, because you have to have, usually you have to have police uh, misconduct. You have to have uh, some kind of state agency. So that's the first distinction we want you to learn. And we use the O.J. Simpson example as an example. You know, there was caps on the de- wrongful death damages. He wasn't convicted criminally, as we all know about that. And we're not going to talk about, talk about criminal law today. We're, we're talking about civil damages. So there was no state action. But let's compare that right now, Brad, to Tyree Nichols' case, because there is color of law. There, those are the legal words, color of law. And there is state action. And let's explain what that means. Well, sure. Um, and Tyree Nichols, we're talking about people who were vested with uh, the power under state law to enforce or take action against Tyree Nichols or against people that the, the, the defendants thought were committing some kind of inappropriate act. However, they clearly, well, I'm not going to say clearly because that case hasn't gone to trial, uh, but th- there's an argument that they uh, acted outside of uh, um, or beyond the powers that are invested in them in the Constitution or uh, under state law. Uh, and therefore, they were acting under the power of state law, supposedly carrying out state law, supposedly carrying out uh, legal redress for um, against Tyree Nichols. Um, the only problem they have is that um, they far exceeded, um, at least the allegation is that they far exceeded what they were supposed to be doing and how they were supposed to be enforcing uh, the law as to Tyree Nichols. So uh, under normal circumstances, you'd be saying, well, sure, they had the right to proceed the way they wanted to uh, or the way they did. But the question is, did they go too far? Did they um, exceed um, the, the, what they were supposed to be doing? And were they doing it in a discriminatory manner? 
was it something that you can look and say Tyree Nichols had any kind of constitutional protections? Well, of course he has constitutional protections. He has constitutional protections just as you have constitutional protections, and I do and everybody else does um, with respect to um, our rights. And even our rights when being uh, held by the police, even our rights when being questioned by the police, even our rights when being, being, um, when being chased by the police, we have certain rights, and those rights never go away. Right, so let's, let's compare it again so you can take this one home. All right, in the O.J. Simpson case, there was no state color of law, state police, uh, police local police officers. Those are state-involved entities, police, state-involved, right? Police-involved, local police. Those are still state that's, that's the meaning of the word. In the O.J. Simpson case, it was a private citizen. O.J. Simpson, accused, went to trial, you know, acquitted of the, of the criminal charges, but held responsible in the wrongful death uh, charges in, in civil court later. There was no, quote, state action. There was no color of law by a state official. So when you don't have color of law, you don't get a 1983 action, and you don't get the un, basically unlimited damages. You're stuck to the state cap. In that state, California, right? You're stuck to those to those laws. Now let's go to Memphis, Tennessee, Brad. We had color of law. Those are legal words. Color of law. Anybody that acts under color of law, the police were acting under the color of law, then it involves state action. That was the police. Even though they're local Memphis police, it's called state action, operating under color of law. And then when they abuse somebody's constitutional rights, I'm beating them up as shown in the video, then it triggers a 1983 action where attorneys can get the multi-millions of dollars, even though there's a state cap on the amount of money that you can recover. And, and you know, as it should be, uh, there, there is a requirement that we, uh, we give to people. And I'm not saying how, how Tyree Nichols' case should end out, but where there's a requirement that we should give to people uh, their constitutional rights. And if under state law, uh, you're taking away those constitutional rights by acting in a, in, a, in a position as a state authority of any kind, and you're using that authority to take away those constitutional rights. Meaning the police. I mean, the police. It could be, it could be anybody who's hired to, but under state law and says they're acting under state law, but right. primarily it's going to be the police. And if they're taking away the person's constitutional rights, then there's going to be some kind of responsibility. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into, nor do I think we have the time in this show, but maybe another show, we should talk about whether or not it should be only the police officers who carry out that act, or should it be the police department? Should it be the governmental entity that has hired the police department or formed the police department? Should it be people who don't properly train the police officers, if that's the reason? Uh, who should have to pay is a different question. But should Tyree Nichols be entitled to recovery, well, is, is next to Ken, or be entitled, those entitled to bring a case, should they be entitled to recovery based on uh, the, the, the fact that there was a violation of his constitutional rights? And the answer is that is available if they can prove their case. Sure, if they can prove their case, it hasn't gone to trial. Now, we're not, talk, we're not talking about the criminal charges in Memphis or any other one, like George Floyd. We're not talking about the criminal charges. One of those officers, uh, Derek Chauvin, was convicted of murder. We're not talking about that. In, in, in Memphis, when the Tyree Nichols case, they're, they're charged with second-degree murder. They're charged with aggravated assault. 
They're charged with uh, aggravated kidnapping, for crying out loud. They're charged with official misconduct and official oppression. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a civil case brought for violation of constitutional rights, Tyree Nichols' constitutional rights. It could apply to Breonna Taylor, right? It could apply to George Floyd, right? That's where this money comes from. Because you see that the conflict is the states, most states have caps on the amount of money that you can obtain, like on a wrongful death. But when you get it to a 1983 action, when the police are operating under color of law and they're violating somebody's constitutional rights, then 1983 says basically there's no, there's no limit on it. And we talk about millions of dollars. And so, Brad, but you have to have some harm there. And we're not going to go through all the cases in, in America by the, by the United States Supreme Court that says, you know, the original cases said, well, if you just violate somebody's rights, like, like a no-knock search warrant, then that's good enough. But that's not a good enough anymore. The United States Supreme Court has said you have to have actual harm. And like in, in, in the harm in Tyree Nichols' case is fairly easy to figure out. Well, that's correct. You have to have some harm that's, uh, that you can see, that you can feel, that you can touch is about what they're saying. Uh, uh, every, every case is going to have its own parameters as far as what you're going to be claiming is the uh, harm that is that's been inflicted on the person for a violation of their constitutional rights but under most of the cases that are going on where you get the really big payments of money uh the the harm is pretty clear i mean i I don't think anybody can question what the harm was to george floyd uh or to tyree nichols if in fact there was a violation of their their constitutional rights yeah, let's take a couple of examples here so to drive it home uh, better for you. So, like in the state of Colorado, there are caps on damages that you can recover for wrongful death. There's a couple of exceptions. We don't need to go on them here, but there's caps. But if you had a 1983 action, meaning, meaning state, meaning usually police, called state action, state action uh, in law school, that's what you learn. Then if you have a 1983 action, then the caps don't mean much. Uh, in New York, there's caps on medical malpractice cases. But if you have a 1983 action in New York, you're going to get the, you're going to get the bigger bucks. That's why these lawyers that represent these people, like on police beatings, like on Tyree Nichols case, that's why they, they summons and cite 42 USC 1983, because there's no caps in Ohio. There's caps on damages, right? But if you had a 1983 action, the cap wouldn't apply in Texas. There are some caps, but basically no caps. In Michigan, um, there's no cap on punitive damages in Michigan, but there is on medical malpractice cases. And so then the 1983 action would wipe those out. So, Brad, it goes across the country, but that's the way this 1983 action works. Right. It's, uh, you know, can they cap it? I I imagine Congress could try and cap it if they want. It'd be hard to understand what would be the groundswell if we're going to say we're going to cap the amount of money you can collect for somebody taking away your constitutional rights uh, in some uh, g- form that shows that they've g- g- suffered physical grievances or gr- physical injuries. But uh, that's something for another day also. Right. And don't forget at the end of the show, we're going to have some fun, our usual fun. We're going to go through the American idiom of the day, right? And we're going to also give you our quote of the day. We always do that. It's a, it's a great, uh, entertaining uh, situation that we do. We're glad to do it. If you want to reach us, just email us at info at legalanatomy.net. That's info 
at legalanatomy.net. We'll be glad to respond to you and interact with you. Uh, We're more than happy to do it. This week, we're covering 1983 actions. We're specifically relating to the Tyree Nichols case. And we've had other cases, right? I mean, we've had huge cases. In Colorado, there was the Jamal Hunter case, uh, abuse and mistreatment in jail. That would involve state action. We're teaching you about state action. That's why we started off with the O.J. Simpson case. There was no state action, right, that resulted in the deaths. There was no police beatings. There was all kinds of state constitutional issues in the trial. That that, that doesn't work. That doesn't apply. So also in Colorado, there was the, um, there was the Juan Vasquez case. He got $885,000. You know, New York, Eric Garner, $5.9 million. Ohio, Timothy Russell, excessive force, $1 million, right? In Ohio, Tamir Rice, 12-year-old, a 12-year-old fatally shot by police. There's the state action. There's you operating under color, color of law. That was $6 million. And we all, we all know about George Floyd. We know about Rodney King, right? These are all 1983 actions. So that's, uh, and then in, the te- in Texas, Marlene Tapia sexually assaulted by the police department, $1.1 million. George Floyd, $27 million. Well, those have nothing to do with the caps in the, in, in the, in the states. And so, Brad, when you, have, when you have state action, when you're operating under color of law and you violate somebody's constitutional rights, which is claimed and alleged and going to be alleged in the Tyree Nichols case, then you're going to trigger 1983, and that's 42 U.S.C. 1983, and you're basically going to override any caps in the states. In Tennessee, where this happened, Memphis, Tennessee, does have caps on their damages. Well, you got to make sure that you are violating a constitutional right, though. Let's not forget that, that you're, constituting, that you're violating somebody's civil rights. Um, and, and sometimes there can be a fine line drawn with respect to what's happening and how it's happening. Uh, normally... You're, um, you're going to be addressing that issue. Uh, we have a case here in Colorado where uh, someone was put into a car. I mean, I don't want to get too much into the, the, the specifics of it because it's still out there. And uh, next thing you know, a train's hitting the car, and they were put into the car by a police agency. Um, you know, the question is, when they were put in the car by the police agency, were they depriving them of their civil rights? And was that an action that would be recoverable under the violation of their civil rights? Or is that something that's just pure negligence by a police officer who's acting under color state law, but he's acting in a way that's negligent? And, um, uh, you know, you need to you need to take a good, healthy look at these cases when you're trying to decide to what extent somebody's been deprived of their civil rights their constitutional rights under color of state law. Okay, let's take a little test here. Let's, let's, let's remind you, we're talking about, usually, and it's usually the police. We're talking about state action. Those are law school words, state action. But and you say, well, that means the state of Colorado or the state of Indiana or the state of Texas. No, it means somebody from the state, and it's usually the police, and it does not have to be a state trooper. It can be the law enforcement people and the law officers, police officers from Memphis, Tennessee, Minnesota, California. It can be the police, and it usually is the police, right? So compare, now, compare this and contrast this in your mind. We're talking about a violation of, of constitutional rights, and, and beatings are, that's what they have. They have rape cases on the books, beating cases on the books. But what about, Brad, what about if, if the police get a search warrant and they break into the wrong house and they shoot somebody or they have a no-knock search warrant and then uh, – 
all heck breaks loose when they when they break into the house with a no knock search warrant. But let's say the the search warrant was wrong, it was incorrect. And we have a couple of cases on the book where books where it was intentionally incorrect, and they did it. And so if they break into your house and they don't harm you and they don't beat you up and they don't shoot you and they don't kill you because we had one case where the poor, the poor gentleman raised his can of soda in the night and they thought it was a gun on a no-knock search warrant and shot him and killed him. But let's say you're not injured, you're not beaten, they break into your house. So, yeah, you got your, your constitutional rights violated, but that's a different case than when you're beating them unmercifully. Well, sure it is. But, you know, we always look at, the event and we look at the damages resulting from the event to determine whether or not the amount of damages. I mean, the damages may be much less if somebody's uh, detained and held while they're, um, while somebody is illegally detained them, but is running a check on them of some type uh, versus somebody who's been detained and held and is being beat mercifully and merciless uh, while they're um, uh, running a check on them. Uh, you know, what, what are you doing while you're violating their rights? And you, you, it's, it's one thing if you exercise a, uh, a break into somebody's house under c- color of state law, claiming you're the police and you have the right to do that, and you, um, and you cause injury to them versus you break in and there's no injury caused and everything remains somewhat civil and, and domesticated. So... Uh, you you need to look at the damages also. This is not just an automatic, oh, you violated my constitutional rights, now I get a million dollars. Right, exactly. We, we got to look at the damages that were that were caused at the same time. And usually on the wrongful death, the damages are obviously the person's dead, lost a family member, et cetera, becomes less obvious uh, when, when somebody was a subject of a no-knock search warrant. That would be state action. We're teaching you that. State action under color of law, usually, not always, but usually involving the police because they are state entities. And then that triggers 1983, and that triggers basically no caps on damages. Let's take a look across the country on states that have caps on damages. And it's kind of a fascinating history. We're going to take a sidebar here for a second. But um, Colorado is one that has caps. Ohio has caps. Tennessee, where where Memphis, Tennessee is located, obviously they have certain caps. Uh, and then there's no caps, Brad. There's, um, let, let's cover a couple of those. Arizona, well, Wyoming, let's, yeah. co- let's just cover a couple of those. That's, that's the large majority. The no caps is about 42 states plus uh, D.C. So, you know, if you're, if you're talking about uh, caps, you, you know, you're going to be going to um, California, Connecticut, um, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania. It's just endless. It's 42 states. There's only a few states that have found caps to be, um, uh, th- that have enforced caps. And there's uh, seven states where um, the caps have been found unconstitutional and the legislature hasn't repassed them in, in seven states. So what that leaves is eight states that have non-economic damages caps uh, and um, and then you have the other 42 states that don't have caps. Right, and what have you learned today? So if you have you live in a state where there's a cap, like Tennessee, when you bring in and you trigger a 42 U.S.C. 1983 action, that's what they're called, 1983 actions, when you trigger it because somebody acted under color of law to violate somebody's constitutional rights, then basically the caps go out the window. Well, not to take up some unnecessary time, but that might be very quick, very interesting depending on how far we get in the Memphis case. Because, right. Because, you know, that is in Tennessee, last time I saw, 
And if it's in Tennessee, there's some caps that may apply. And if those caps apply, the question is going to be, um, how are people going to feel about caps being applied to what happened in Tennessee? Right. And coming up, we're going to talk to you about uh, who has the right to sue, who has the right to claim 1983 action and, and get the money, right? Who has the right to do that? And who pays for all this, right? And is there insurance? That covers 1983 actions. You know, when you rear end somebody in your car, you figure, well, this car insurance is covered, surely, right? But in 1983 actions, are there is there even insurance available? So let's talk a second. And I want to go back. I, I want to go back to Brad to a point we, we made a minute ago. In New York, they have caps on med mal and nothing else, basically, but on med, medical malpractice cases. But everybody remembers the Central Park Five uh, young men all wrongfully convicted, as it turned out. What would you think the payout would be under 1983 for being wrongfully convicted, and then they, and then they, and they were turned loose, and it was, it was $41 million, right? And then, and then George Floyd got a, a, large, a large settlement. But these cases are usually settled. You don't hear about them going to trial. They're usually settled. So let's talk about, right now, who has the right to recover. So... Depending on what state you're in, right? You can be in Colorado, you can be in Texas, you can be in Oregon, you can be in Tennessee. Then the state statute, even though you're a 1983 action, federal statute, the state statute controls who's going to have the right to bring the lawsuit and get the money, right? So let's just cover that um, because almost every state has a wrongful death statute, Brad, and that usually defaults to, uh, what would you say, the spouse, and then some collateral heirs, that sort of thing. Well, of course, it's normally going to uh, it's going to go to family, you know, without um, overstaying our welcome or, you know, because you, you've just talked about about three different shows that we could be doing right. uh, on what's going on. The, um, there's going to be some connection with respect to who has the right to collect for the uh, for the damages that have been caused and for um, and for the injuries that have been imposed. And so the, those are going to talk when you when you're talking about death. Uh, you're going to be talking about what, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to look at the person who was killed and you're going to start looking into what the relationships are. Uh, that's where you get mothers and fathers surfacing very quickly. If there are no mothers and fathers, uh, you may be having other people that come in as far as relatives uh, that are that are, uh, that are um, affected by the death. Uh, you have children if somebody is, is is deprived of their rights and killed and under and there's a 1983 action you can have children of the person also coming forth to uh, to try and collect and and think about this think about this everybody we get you know, this fantastic amount of money that you're talking about with no caps and uh, think about uh, Tyree Nichols think about um, a husband just think about a husband being wrongfully killed by the police maybe a husband's demonstrating downtown Atlanta, right? Downtown Houston. Maybe they're demonstrating the police. Let's just assume this is a made-up example. The police kill them, and they do it uh, wrongfully, and it's a wrongful death case. Then if you're in Texas, the Texas wrongful death statute is going to govern and tell you who has the right to sue. And so, but think about this. There's one state in our country that says if, if, if a spouse is killed, then the surviving spouse has the exclusive right during the first year, the exclusive right to file the lawsuit. Nobody else can do it. So if you're, th if you're thinking about doing a case for $10 million, $20 million, $30 million, and you're the surviving spouse, what do you think? 
You're going to make that one-year deadline under that state's law? Sure. So you, so these lawyers, you're going to have to navigate, Brad. You're going to have to navigate the statute who, who has the right to bring the lawsuit to get all this money, if there's going to be all this money, under 1983. Right. And uh, you know, you're know you not going to have to go very far if you think you might have a right to collect any of that money because uh, normally when these actions occur, the 1983 actions occur, they get a lot of press, they get a lot of attention in the news. A lot of people know about them. And it brings out a lot of lawyers who specialize in this area. And a lot of times those er- those lawyers will be out looking for and searching for whoever might be able to recover under the case so that they can have the case. And right. You can expect that a lot of times there's going to be contact made. Um, you know, excuse me for saying this, there's going to be contact made before the person's even buried as far as saying, okay, um, let me do your case because I'm, a, I'm trying to, uh, I'm going to do it on a percentage basis and I want your case. Right. And just because you have the exclusive right to bring the lawsuit doesn't mean you get all the money. No. You, see, you see where all these legal fights come from? Suppose you're in a, in a state where the spouse has the exclusive right to bring a 1983 action for loss of her husband, let's say, example, and uh, she recovers $20 million. Well, there, there are other heirs dictated by state law as to where that money has to go. And so it's not just a, you know, an initial grab all, but it, it, it has to go to the, by the state law. Some laws say we're going to distribute the money as, as what's called intestate succession, which means the same as if, if you died without a will. So whatever the state statute says uh, that if you died without a will, how your property would go to your spouse first, to your children next, that's how the, the money for wrongful death under 1983 uh, would go. All right, Brad, let's talk a second about who in the world, who in the world is going to pay this money? Because we've heard a couple of them already say, well, we... We don't have that kind of money. We don't have that kind of m- m- money, but it's paid $27 million, $41 million, $100 million. It's paid, and the entity usually, not always, there's some, there's some weird law on that, but the entity, like the city, usually has to dig in their pockets and pay it, and then we're going to end up the show on insurance, so there might be some insurance for a 1983 action. What do you think? Well, it's going to be hard to find much insurance for a 1983 action if you're showing intentional acts. Uh, if you're showing negligent acts, maybe you got some some recovery, and maybe that's got to be a question that has to be addressed in court. Uh, and who's going to end up paying for it is the municipality or the city or whoever's employed that particular person. Uh, that's usually who's going to end up paying for it. Uh, even if it's a police department, uh, it's going to be who, whoever's responsible for the police department for those type of damages and injuries. Um, and uh, that money usually is going to come from where else but taxes in some form or another or from some kind of levy or some kind of a, a charge against uh, wherever the, the entity is collecting its money from. Um, and it's, it's kind of a broad statement that I'm making, but the bottom line is the money has to come from some source. And uh, last time I saw, e- even the governmental entities who employ the uh, police officers to do these type of things, they're not making the money. They have to collect the money, and they have to collect the money usually through some type of a tax that they're, or the, through their coffers and their tills that they've received. Usually the city ends up paying the money. Uh, there, are, there is insurance available. There are many exceptions to the insurance rule, and Brad just pointed some of them out to you, uh, intentional acts being one. So if the police are convicted, any police in any state are convicted of murder, that's certainly an intentional act, and there would be a big coverage question. So, but usually it comes out of the coffers of the city, 
uh, involved. It usually involves the police or police misconduct of some kind. Uh, if you want to contact us, you're listening to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. We're here every week for you. We try to break down the most current event and the news for you so that you can make up your own mind as to what's happening. And you can be educated and you can be informed on what's happening in the news. And we give you the legal breakdown here. You can reach us at info, I-N-F-O, info at legalanatomy.net. That's info at legalanatomy.net. We'll be glad to interact with you. Uh, and talk with you. And so we've covered all the way down from color of law, Brad. We've covered exceptions. We've covered insurance. We covered the state caps and how they can kind of get obliterated. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we head on over to our American Idiom desk and see what we have for the American Idiom today at the end of this show and have a little bit of fun. And you give everybody the American Idiom. I, I love these American Idioms. I think the, my favorite one that you ever did was a, a tempest in a teacup. And well, I, never, I never really kind of understood that until you brought it up. In a, uh, but what do you got for us today? Well, you know, this is the one that um, everybody has to live by. And uh, you Uh-oh. never, you Uh-oh, never Uh-oh, know when trouble. you get to it. Uh, a little learning is a dangerous thing. <laughs> a little yeah. learning is a dangerous thing. We did a little yeah. bit of learning today in this podcast. A little learning is a dangerous thing. So that's your American idiom for today. And here's your quote for today. Uh, it's from Frank Clark. And it goes as follows. If you can find a path with no obstacles, it probably doesn't lead anywhere. If you can find a path with no obstacles, it probably doesn't lead anywhere. All right, you're listening to Gary Bell, Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado. We've got this legal anatomy of current events for you every week to break down into its component parts, the legal current issues, and we call it anatomizing your mind. You try to say that. Anatomize your mind, and we want you to become anatomized, and we want you to think about these current events and current issues, the legal part of it, and then you can make up your own mind, uh, political or whatever side you're on, as, as, as uh, how it comes down for you. Gary Bell, Brad Pollock, our law firm is Bell & Pollock, Legal Anatomy of Current Events. We'll see you next week. <laughs>